Welcome back to another episode of Life with Lamb. Today I'm here with Mitchell or the Relationship Mentor. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me. It's no, um, it's it's awesome to to connect with you, and I love your energy. I love the the podcast that I've watched. So I'm happy to be here. Ah, oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And a bit of context for the listeners, I guess you reached out to me. Yeah. Literally a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, very very fortunate and mm. and thankful because I feel like I've been scrolling through your content a little bit just to get a bit uh get a grasp of like who you are, what you do. Mm. I'm keen to unpack it. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of interesting content there that isn't really spoken about uh, mm. in this sort of day and age and, and in our generation as well, I feel. A lot of the stuff that you unpack is very taboo. Um, what is it that you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, for me, the the relationship mentor encapsulates obviously a life journey of, of dating and relationships, one. But two, a lot of the unspoken... Um, I guess questions that we all have and answers that we're all looking for, which is, you know, how do I find a, a perfect partner? How do I have a good marriage? How do I become vulnerable? You know, these sort of things that I don't think people are going to be asking themselves a lot because they think it is taboo or they're not going to open up about. And um, so the relationship mentor for me is just a platform for people to come onto with me and open up and get into their vulnerabilities so they can become a better partner, so they can have a good romantic relationship. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, we've got some wine here. Yeah, we do. We've just been... I'm not a big wine drinker, but we were just <laughs> chatting about it and I love the philosophy that you provided. So what what is the context behind the wine? For yeah, the so we're drinking some natural wines or lo-fi wines or what we say is natties. Um, natties. Yeah, and um, for me, it's it's a, a passion, a hobby, something that I indulge in with friends, family. Um, it's a philosophy as well, right? So natural wine is a is I think everything now is sort of changing. We're, we're opening up um, to ancient technologies and this is sort of wine that was made hundreds of years ago but now we're getting back into it because we're, we're opening up to new experiences and natural wine represents the philosophy of a farmer who's in the middle of a farm somewhere doing his passion, doing his own thing, not being regulated by any sort of body and just wanting to show exactly what the fruit of the grape is doing in the most authentic way so it's there's no it's not filtered um there's no additives no preservatives it's just purely grape to bottle and funky just funky yeah i love it love it yeah i guess mitchell really went into the details of how wine is being made now and it sounds all processed and everything and i feel like in a way it sort of correlates to how society is yeah. at the moment like everything is not sort of what you see and um i guess social media and those sorts of outlets have that um, effect on things. So, I don't know, wine. I've never really indulged into it that much, but this one, like, I feel like it's very palatable and yeah. it's really easy to get through the body. Normally, mm. I, like, wince or, mm. or I don't know, um, cringe a little bit yeah. drinking it. I don't know if cringe is the right word, but um, we'll leave it at that. Mm. <laughs> talk to us a bit about you. Like, what was your upbringing like? Like, tell me, tell me a bit about yourself yeah, yeah, as cool. well. Um, I grew up in Canberra. I went to an all-boys school. Um which was predominantly Catholic and, um, you know, they pushed the religious, you know, parcel to us quite heavily. Um, it wasn't something that uh, a lot of us bought into, but it actually created quite a nice brotherhood. You know, all boys school, loved it. Um, but um, Canberra was a very interesting place to grow up in. It was very small, I think 350,000 people, um, which is not small for some other, you know, people that live in the country, country. But for me, it felt quite small always. Um, and yeah, I had a good childhood. Look, I grew up with my grandma um, and my mum, and that was I, I love that my my grandma is like the best human being in the world to me. And um, yeah, I loved growing up with her. Um, and then my stepfather got introduced a bit later, who was also very influential as well. Um, but you know, when I hit when I hit eighteen, you know, there was this conversation around which everyone has this conversation with themselves and their family and their friends of you know what do I want to do. Um, and I had the notion of definitely wanting to get overseas. Um, and when I had that discussion with myself, my friends, some of my friends were going to university and I was like, I still haven't decided yet. I'll just dabble and I'll, I'll jump into university and see how it goes. It is like that. I feel, um, a lot of, a lot of people growing up, especially when you're in the, in the crux of it, in the heart of, um, let's say Melbourne, um, let's say city as well. I think the narrative is, yeah. Like everyone just goes to uni sort of thing. Like that's what you're preparing for. That's mm. what your final grade accounts for. Like you, you do that, do well in that and then go straight to uni. And then it's like, 
this podcast is about trying to navigate ways around it. It's like mm. you might not necessarily have to and you have opportunities to travel overseas. Yes, COVID was a thing, but um, you do have those opportunities now. Like we've opened up again, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, what was all that like? Like you grew up, you didn't really know what you wanted to do, but mm. you f- saw all your friends going and you said, let's, let's go with them as well. Yeah, yeah. So we, I think it was five or six of us got together and we were planning a, a Europe trip as you do. Mm. Um, so then we... Um, I was playing footy at the time as well, which was nice. It sort of kept me a bit grounded away from uni. I did go to uni for one day, I think it was. Um, and I remember walking into a lecture room. There were 700 people in there, all doing the same degree. And I just sort of looked around going, mm, this doesn't really add up. Like, we're all doing the same degree. We're all aiming for the same goal here. But there's 700 people in this one lecture room. And I think it was regional anatomy or something. And it was just like a different language. And I was like, I think I spent 10 minutes jump shipped got out of there drove home and was like nah i'm going to save some money and let's let's crack on let's get into europe um so we 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 did we planned to stay i planned to stay for a bit longer i got a eu uh, a uk visa um and i didn't actually have to do that at the time i've got a, a, a german passport as well so um but yeah we planned a trip and i think we left in september um so sort of back end of summer got over there and was yeah it was a, a wild trip to be honest wild trip. how long were you there for um close to six months i think yeah yeah amazing yeah um and what was all that like like i guess traveling everyone talks about it how beneficial it is for, mm. for the body and, and for the mind as well yeah like, yeah talk to us a bit about it i mean five mates heading overseas it's just like you're just so excited and <laughs> um so. yeah i remember firstly getting on the plane as aussie as you do you know you you, you just want to drink. You get on the plane, you're like, let's drink, let's go. Um, so that was kind of the mentality starting off with. Um, and I, I do remember they cut us off on that plane, which was quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, we landed in London, I think. And um, yeah, the trip took off. We had a few days before we started a top deck tour, which was a 30-day top deck tour. Um, and that was that was still a very defining trip for me. I loved the top deck tour. There was five of us. So we kind of controlled the group a bit because, you know, we was the largest group on the bus. A lot of couples, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but we had a lot of fun on that trip. And that um, then there was a defining moment, I guess, of, of where we um, came to a crossroad at the end of the trip, which was the bus either goes back to London to finish the trip for the top deck or you stay in Amsterdam. And I decided with a friend, you know, four or five days beforehand that we were going to stay in Amsterdam. Um, and then we got to the day and then, you know, some some of my mates got attracted to a few of the, the female occupants that were on their top deck and they kind of wanted to bridge across back to London with them. And we were like, hey, boys, you know, we decided that we're going to stay in Amsterdam. They're like, no, nah, we're going. I was like, all right. So me and my other friend just stayed in Amsterdam. The others went off and we kind of were a bit pissed off with each other. Mm-hmm. So... It had to happen sometime, right? Yeah. <laughs> like 30 days together, just going for it. I know, day after day together. Yeah. Bound to happen, but yeah. what happened after? Um, the funny story is, I'll cut it a bit shorter, but we, we ended up running into them in Ireland. And um, what happened was we, me and my friend were like, let's let's actually go to Paris. Let's see, you want to check out Paris. We didn't spend much time there. So we got on one of those, uh, I think it's called Euro buses. I can't remember what the, Flix bus. Um, it's like a euro you get on. Mm-hmm. I think the trip was like sixteen hours, right? It's not not the not For the a euro. Yeah, yeah. It's it's instead of the train, right? You yeah. save a bit of money. Yeah. Um, and so we're sitting on this bus, and we get to this like town outside of Paris, and we're like, like, is this stopping in Paris? Like, we I hope so. Um, and this is still one of the craziest nights I've had in my life. And um, we were like, no, no, I think it's going to Paris. Me and my friend. So we're like, all right, we stayed on the bus didn't even get to to paris it started like going up towards like the north of france and we're like why the fuck are we going to north of france and then we realized that this bus was going over to england and this is like two days after that we left the other boys and we're like pissed off at them and we're like you're kidding we're not going to be back in england and there was no other stops it was like it's and then we we, yeah we realized it was going to england so we're like oh shit (laughs) um and then, yeah, we're on the bus, like, thinking, fuck, where are we going to stay? Like, what are we going to do? Um, and I think there was something on. It was like a Saturday night. So it was very hard to get a hostel um, that we wanted to. So we called up a buddy and we messaged him and he was actually working in, like, a coastal town. 
um, I think it was Sussex or Essex or something. I can't remember. Or Eastbourne, Eastbourne, I think it was. And um, he's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm working at the school down here. You can come and stay with me. You just have to get, when you get into London, you have to get this train and I'll pick you up from the station. We're like, sweet, sounds good. Got to, got to London, it was like 10 o'clock at night. There was only one train left going. Um, it was like a two-hour train. Got on the train, had to jump the fence because it was like 70 pounds. And um, yeah, we didn't have, I think, I don't know, something was going wrong with my card at the time. It was like a travel card and sometimes they get cut off. Yeah. Um, so I was like, fuck, we got to jump, jump the fence here. So we jumped the fence, um, got onto this last train, sat on there, um, got to Eastbourne. It was like 1 a.m. or something. And we're sitting at the train station waiting for old mate, waiting for old mate, waiting for old mate. Nothing, nothing. It gets to like 2.30. We're like, this is not on. <laughs> oh, no. And then we just, we see this nightclub sort of closing and people like scattering out. We're like, um, oh, should we just ask someone what the, what the, what's going on? Um, go up to someone and say, hey, look, we're stuck. You know, does it, you know if there's anywhere we can stay? And this old mate, uh, I don't know what he's like. He was like 40. He's like, you can come stay with me. And we're like, oh, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> go, to, go to this. I don't know if anyone's seen um, Skins. There's this, this character in Skins called Old Mad Twitter, like identical. And um, yeah, <laughs> identical. Um, and he come, we go into his house and he sits down and we, he puts on MTV and he's got like Justin Bieber playing or some concert. And I was like, what the hell? And he's like, you want a beer, boys? I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll have a beer. And then he was so passive aggressive. It was the weirdest thing ever. He was like, yeah, really friendly, friendly. And then he's like, all of a sudden switches and is like, look, if you touch anything, I'll kill you. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. And we're like, oh my God. we're like, what? He's like, yeah, but no, have a good time. Like if you want another beer or whatever. Yeah, oh my yeah. Lord. Yeah. He's like, by the way, you know, I used to box and, you know, if you do anything, I've got some friends that can come over and, you know, we can sort you out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Whirlwind of emotions. Yeah. Right? Like, this is such a long trip. Like, this is like 38 hours. Late. Like, we thought we were just going to Paris, right? Yeah. Sitting in this guy's living room, like, thinking, fuck, this guy's a bit, like, crazy. Like, I don't know what we're going to do here. Um, so I was afraid to, like, go to bed. And he's like, no, no, like, you guys can stay. It's all good. Like, just if you do touch anything, I'll kill you. And we're like, okay. Anyway, I remember going to sleep next to my mate and me and my mate just rolled over next to each other and just said, look, if you don't wake up, it's all good. Like We've had a crack, you know, we've had a good time. So, yeah, cool. Anyway, I wake up and my friend's not in next to me and I'm like, shit, where is he? So I start like going around the house and my mate's so stupid. He starts like, he finds this like lolly jar and starts eating this guy's lollies and I was like, no, mate, come on, we need to get out of here. Um, yeah, we were like, we were terrified. Um, anyway, we got out. This is, by the way, this is, there's no, we don't have an iPhone. We have an iPod, mm. you know, we, there's, there's no phones, right? We have an iPod. There's no cellular, anything like that, Wi-Fi, nothing. Um, so we go to like an internet cafe. Like it's, it sounds like I'm talking in the 70s here, but like. Yeah, no, like, it sounds like a big throwback. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, what, you can't connect to a hotspot. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> none of that, right? So we get on Facebook and we're like, where did this, where's old, like our f mate that was meant to meet us at the train station? Turns out he got absolutely blind at this club that we saw, lost his phone in there, passed out somewhere, had to go to school early that day, the next day. And we're like, oh, well, it's a small town. Let's find the school at least. So we, we start walking around going through classrooms to find him. We find him teaching like some, I don't know, sports class. And we're like fuming, right? Fuming, yeah, 100%. Like. And he's just so casual. He's like, oh, boys, you know, how's it going? Sorry, I lost my phone. And we're like, mate, not on. Yeah. So that was a whirlwind, um, but it turns out, you know, the boys actually, he had arranged for the other boys to come meet him. So then the other boys are there and we were there. So we all reunited back in this big group, you know, made, you know, kiss and hug. It was all good. Yeah. But Jesus. Shake the hand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. what a trip. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Lots of digest. Mm. Big, big story to begin the podcast. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> talk, to, talk to us a bit, about, a bit about your upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't speak um yeah talk to us a little bit about it um like what we like as a kid um you did touch on how you didn't really know what you wanted to do mm -hmm. were there pressures surrounding that at all um i think there was that cliche pressure of like go to uni mm. you know get good grades um i was quite athletic and i played a lot of sports and i was quite good at a lot of sports that i played and i that kind of scattered me because 
I couldn't really invest in one because I wanted to play them all. Um, so I played rugby, I played AFL, I played soccer my whole life. Um, I played soccer in England. I played uh, for like a junior Australia team and then I came back and then I played AFL and I was just scattered, right? Mm. Um, so sports was a big thing and academ- academia was certainly not in my realm. Um, I was in for a good time. I just wanted to have a good time at school, um, get along with the boys and um, yeah, and probably had one of the best childhoods, I, I think. Like uh, we we actually, at 15, we got fake IDs, like New Zealand IDs. There was this guy printing fake New Zealand IDs and we would go to festivals. We'd go to Sydney on the weekend and go to the big day out, you know, at 15. And it was just like, I, I don't go to festivals now because I like it doesn't match the feeling of when I was 15, not meant to be there, right? Um, you're doing something, you know, frowned upon. Loved it. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome, and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, no. Um, but I knew that academia wasn't really my thing, but I kind of had this feeling of like wanting to do a spiritual journey somehow. Like I just wanted to, to have experience, like go and experience things. Um, and I think three, like three or four of my friends kind of resonated with that feeling as well, which I still, we're still very close. So any of my friends I grew up with, like we're still very close. Um, I don't know if that's a byproduct of like an all boys school. We've talked about it a bit. Mm. Um, what was that environment like? Like, do you look back on it with fond memories or? Yeah, um, definitely fond memories. But the 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 education system now that I look back on it was like it was pretty. Uh, it wasn't setting people up correctly, in my opinion. Um, there was no um, th- knowledge about holistic um, practices or Eastern philosophy or um you know meditation or just like being um opening up a bank account like all these things they, they just preached on like religious practice christianity you know bible bashing in a way um and i have a very different view on religion right now which is a much more f- informed view um and more healthy view back then it was just like rejection rejection because they were just throwing it down our throats and all we wanted to do was go outside and play footy or something. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was it was different. Um, but I really enjoyed it and I can't, you know, there was teachers, particular teachers. I got picked on a lot from teachers um, mainly because, yeah, it just wasn't conforming. And there was a few of us that were like that. We just yeah. weren't conforming. Yeah, it's amazing. You find like like-minded people in terms of in, in times of sort of stress or like yeah. enduring something that you don't really resonate with. Mm. I feel like I'm finding that a little bit more like you and it's the energy you put out that um, people gravitate towards. Like, I guess the podcast is sort of like I'm putting out this message where look like follow what you love doing and try not to conform to this mm. idea of you needed to go to uni or you need to do this and go out into the world and find a job straight away because I guess people like yourself, you go travel um, and then now you're sort of finding yourself um, gravitating towards the relationship mentor as well, which is so cool to see. And I'd love to unpack that soon. Mm. Um, like looking back, you're, you said you were 28. Yeah, I'm 28. 28 yeah. years old. Looking back and, and on your 18 year old self and, and I guess you growing up in, in the high school scene, um, like what, what would you tell yourself now? Yeah, it's an amazing question. It's an amazing question. And it's something we should all reflect on every now and then. And um, look, my 18-year-old self was like very much about having a crack and just like no regrets, living large, doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, but I would have loved to narrow that focus in a bit more on on maybe some study in terms of reading a bit more, getting a bit more educated, a bit more informed. Um, I would have loved to maybe narrowed my focus in on doing one thing, not a hundred things. Um, and that's what I'm more proficient at now is that I, I pick my things that I love doing and I double down on them and I don't spread myself too thin. Um, I think when I was 18, it was just all about maybe running away from that, that thought of what am I going to do? So maybe I was just doing everything to not sit in that thought. Um, but it would have been better to invest time in that thought, I think. Yeah. It's such a huge point. I think like I can relate to that myself. I think I keep, I try to keep myself super busy and whether that is me just like projecting my own insecurity into my life um, of avoiding coming to a conclusion as to what I want to do, we don't know. Mm. I don't know. Um, it could be. Mm. Um, and maybe my parents would think so or, or someone that's close to me might think so. But 
I still think it's really important to branch out and like do all those things that you so that you know you can hone in a bit later. Yeah. Um, what were the sort of tricks or, or steps that you took to fine tune, I guess, exactly what you wanted to do? Yeah. Before I answer that question, I just want to touch on something which is amazing to me. It's sort of something that resonates with me is that there's this ambiguous space between who you are now and like what your ideal version is, right? And a lot of the time you want to fill in that ambiguous space. Like you go, oh, you know, if I do this, this is going to answer this question. Mm. I think the better reality is actually never answering those questions because it keeps you on that journey and it keeps you in that ambiguous space, which is that motivator. The ambiguity is the motivator. And my friend asked me this question once. He's like, oh, we had this discussion about God. Does God exist? You know, and I was like, look, whether he exists or not, I don't know if you want to know the answer to that because it's better to actually sit with that as not knowing because you're chasing this in-between space of wanting to find out. And that is the motivator that keeps you driving forward. So to answer that younger version self, like what do I want to be? It's like, that's the wrong question. It's like, what journey can I go on to discover more questions? And I think that's a better reality. I love that. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's that ambiguity that, I guess, excites me in a way. Exactly. Um, it scares a lot of people, um, not being able to find um, like something that's sustainable or safe or something that they can do for the long term. Um, and I'm finding that conversation to be pretty uh, common within like people my mm. age as well. Mm. I think you, like, especially now, like I'm at uni in person finally, which is really exciting. Um, but then you get a lot of people just really honed in on the fact that, yeah, I'm going to do this internship and then it's going to get me this wage and then this mm. salary and then I'm mm. going to progress upwards like that. And it's like, what a mundane way to live your life, you know? It's like... Well, I mean, plan it, but guess what? It's not going to go to plan. Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, you can plan as much as you want, to be honest, but there's always going to be twists and curves and, yeah. and roundabouts in your life. And it's like, we should be practicing how to be agile or adaptable mm -hmm. or flexible to be able to handle these things and mm. not on this strict path which is why i've never well now i'm starting to realize like i don't agree with the school system it's mm. so linear and it's so like let's force the kids into the um into the next grade even if they're not sort of capable or, mm. or competent enough it's like let's just feed them through so that they can i don't know get on and do their job it's a narrative right they're selling a narrative and and that narrative is based on it happens in universities as well based on if we put x amount of people through school and they get a certain grade then we're going to get more people enrolled mm. so how can we maximize that right it's a business yeah at the end of the day and I'll look i'm not going to generalize to all school systems and all education systems but i think majority particularly in in the west is is indoctrinating people in that way and i i disagree with that and i guess that's where i'm taking my sort of role now is is okay looking at what society is trying to ingrain in us and indoctrinate us with and ask the question is like well why what's going on here like there's actually better questions there's better and like um, better versions of ourselves to be found in not answering these certain questions and I'm, I'm not yeah i'm not a fan as you said of that the way kids are being educated so mm. and in what at what point does the i guess the unknown become too unknown and like mm -hmm. where you start living this directionless lifestyle yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's a theme in philosophy, there's a theme in psychology between between order and chaos, right? So if you imagine yourself on a platform in, in, in the sea and you've got one foot in the water, one foot on the platform and, you, and the water represents chaos, the platform represents order. However, if you're too much on the platform, then it's going to tilt to one side, isn't it, mm. right? If you're balancing yourself between that order and chaos, so... Life is like, okay, I don't know these answers, but I want to find them out. However, my security and my comfort when I come back home can be my partner, and that is my order. Or it can be my hobby, or it can be my passion, right? But if we jump too much in the chaos, then we end up drowning, right? So we need, we need that balance between order and chaos, of course. However, we are going to find ourselves in times in pure order, which is the representation of a midlife crisis. Or too much chaos, which is a representation of bad habits, alcoholism, whatever it is, you know, that you're indulging too much in. Mm. Hedonism. It can be, those things can serve their purpose, but you just have to have that balance. 
Yeah. Um, so, you, yeah, you talk about like psychology and philosophy. Where did it all begin? And when, when did you start practicing it or, or studying it and reading up on these things? Yeah, um, I think I, it's been a 15-year journey for me, I guess, like when I started reading um, when I was traveling and um, a bit before that as well, when I was asking these questions. Um, I actually remember a very specific conversation I had with a priest or a, uh, at school, a brother, we call them, um, and he, he told a story about fishing, about this guy that was going down to the water and fishing every day, fishing every day and fishing every day. And... Uh, the father came back to him and said, hey, you know, you need to come inside and do some of your duties and do some of your chores so that way you can sustain yourself, get a job, be be something to the world, and then when you're older, you can come back to fishing. And then the, the fisherman turned to the father and said, well, I'm fishing right now. Why would I need to do anything else? And I, I was just like blown away by that story. I was like, why don't we just double down on the things we love doing right now and see where that leads us? Um and that was when I was like 14 and I had that sort of revelational moment. I was like, what the hell is that about? Why, why, do we, yeah, why do we invest in all these things that we hate doing where we can just go off and, and live this life of pleasure, right? And I had to work back from that question because life of pleasure doesn't mean we do things that are spontaneous or things that are bad for us because it just serves us in the short term. I then learnt through philosophy, through the questions, that um, it was more about actually figuring out who my future self is and doing what I can in the present moment to service that future self rather than short-term gain, short-term um, pleasure. Because short-term pleasure and short-term hedonism only leads us down a pathway that's for tomorrow or for 42, 48 hours from now. What is hedonism? So hedonism is basically just indulging in all things pleasurable, um, sex, alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be. Very hedonistic, right? Um, so you can have, don't get me wrong, in particularly in my relationship practice, hedonism plays a role because we all have sexual fantasies. Um, but if we become too much in the hedonism, then life outside of that, we, we detach from what is actually serving our future self. Mm, and it's about finding that balance, I guess. Yeah. Like how far can you go astray where it becomes hedonism and how far the other way can you go where it becomes like too much order, like you were saying yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting balance and I, I'd love if someone <laughs> could answer that question, I guess. Like we never know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about feeling uncomfortable but mm. feeling comfortable enough that you can sit in that and rationalize it right you don't want to feel so uncomfortable that you become overwhelmed and make drastic decisions that you don't know how to inform yourself and inform your future self um, because in psychology and philosophy we always talk about servicing the future self and that's that f that self that you imagine to be in 10 15 years not tomorrow because that's not a long-term game right we're playing the long-term game we're here we're in it it's it's all in you're all in and if you're going to be all in, well, you better be all in for your future self, not for the immediate self, because you're shortening that lifespan. Um, so yeah, we're all in. So we better we better play the game right. Yeah, love it. <laughs> mm. um, and in terms of like the educational side of things, like did you go to uni to study psychology and philosophy, or yes, what yeah. was that all like? Yeah, I did. I did study. I did psych. I did um, philosophy. I've now I'm now I've done sexual. Uh, sexual health, um, which is more specializing into sexology. Um, I'm going to get into research soon, so I'm working down in research. Um, so it's been more informed, um, but the thing that I found out through studying psychology is that there's, like science, it's very structured. It's very, this is how it is. Whereas I think the mind, Eastern philosophy, is very much more about awakening the inner self awakening ancient technologies that are hidden within our brain and that's more that's a lot that's unpopular in in the, the common domains of psychology so if you go to a psychologist now they're not going to unless they're like a psychoanalyst they're not going to really delve into those deeper philosophies um, so i really believe that philosophy psychology fitness and health all tie in beautifully together and you can't you need all of all of them you can't just have psychology. You can't just have philosophy. You have to tie them all in beautifully. Mm. Amazing. Mm. Um, and how have you gone about juggling all that in terms of 
the psycholo- psychology aspect, philosophy, and then health and fitness. Yeah, it's it's difficult because in psych, when you're maybe you're writing an essay or an assignment or a, mm. a research report, you want to make these connections that are philosophical, that have a philosophical narrative. However, when you're writing, you have to be able to reference it. So there's this difficult point where there's some things that you think that are arbitrary, but you can't pinpoint it to a reference point, right? Especially the like the Freudian way of thinking. Freud was very much about psychoanalysts, which is like very much under the surface of, of untangible realities. So what's under our thoughts, what's under these not objective realities, not the things that I can see and observe from you. For example, your posture, the way you're sitting, I can, I can draw some facts from that. But I don't know what's underneath that. And that's, that's, un, that's not very tangible. So it's very hard to research these sort of things. Mm. Um, and that's where I think Eastern philosophy ties in beautifully. Um, meditating, sitting with your thoughts, you know, breath work, um, ice, particularly Wim Hof, you know, getting, getting to the extremes of suffering and, and navigating that suffering. I think that's there's so much key information there that we're lacking today, um, and that's not popular in psychology today. It's not, and that's why I've gone out and I've had to branch out on my own if I really want to create a holistic practice. How did you branch out? Because I noticed that you mentioned, I guess you've moved back to Australia after spending about ten ten or so years living outside of the country. <laughs> how yeah. how was all that? Um, so I lived. Just for everyone listening, I've lived in, I lived in Japan for two years. I've lived in Germany for four years. I lived in Italy for a year. I've lived in the Maldives and Sri Lanka for a year. Um, I lived in Denmark for a year recently. Um, I've lived on and off in Australia in between those times. And what's really interesting about all of those things is, each country, each place I visit and live in has has an underlying belief system that resonates. that. Is con- has continuity between the countries, um, and that's suffering, right? However, in Australia, we don't have that suffering, and that's my estimation of. I I believe that we're in a bit of a identity crisis in Australia, is that through, particularly through Europe, they've had so much suffering in their history, that it's really made them sit in that suffering and define who they are as individuals. So when you go there, you can really sense a continuity there, and it's it's quite calming actually. Mm. Whereas in Australia, I I just seeing just like a mixed bag of things everywhere. Like there's just this uncomfortableness in Australia that I can't sit with because I don't feel like we're in a belief system. We're not ingrained in that and sitting in that, and it's because we don't have suffering in this country. We are the lucky country, right? Yeah, true. I guess like. In terms of suffering, I can like the first thing that jumps to mind is like the indigenous community and and what they've been having to endure for like oh, hundreds and thousands of years, I guess. Um, mm. In terms of like how we sort of stray away from that, like yes, we are a multicultural country, but I feel like we, like the Australia Day debate shouldn't even be a thing. Like it's it's a de- it's a debate sort mm. of thing. Like yeah. the fact that we can't even sit with the suffering that our indigenous communities would have felt is mm. astonishing and like yes we're very lucky but at the expense of them and we can't really we can't even as a country sit with them and and, and unite mm. in that way like it, it's a really painful conversation to have mm. and the thing about multiculturalism is you're one thing and another right mm. so in australia particularly everyone is at least one thing and then there's something else and it's because we are a multicultural country but the problem i have with that multiculturalism is that that one thing isn't properly defined Right, so we ask people to migrate here and say, as long as you migrate here, you have to first accept the laws and principles and values of Australian culture. Okay, what are they? I don't know. Like, I, I sit with that thought a lot. I'm like, what are they? Jeez, I don't know. And when I'm overseas, someone asks me, comes up to me, oh, you're Australian, you know, you, you're, you're laid back, you're relaxed. It's like, yeah, is, what else is there? Is, is that the deep analysis that we're looking for? I don't know the answer, but I feel like we're looking for that answer. Um, because if we're going to be multicultural, we have to be that one thing and the other. Um, with indigenous culture, I, I'm from an indigenous background. I'm still learning about my indigenous background. I'm really? Pr- yeah, what, I'm pr- from what, Gadigal Mob, which is Newtown. Um, and it's because my father didn't have a very good upbringing and he's, ru- he's kind of run away from that upbringing and that culture. And I'm now learning about it. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting to learn about. 
um, and it should be something that's cherished in this country, which it, it's getting there. It's getting to that point where we are having these discussions. But what I will say is it is actually a two-way street. Like Indigenous um, peoples need to come to the table and teach us you know, these philosophies, teach us their values, teach us what's going on. And the reality is we live in a country that is multicultural, so we all need to find a way to coerce and and find a continuity that we can all agree on. And I think it's it's quite tough at the moment. It is, yeah. I guess, like, even, even like, my Asian upbringing, like, I guess you mentioned the two-way street. It's very one-way, and I felt myself neglecting and internalised and facing internalised racism towards, mm. my, towards my own, like, people sort of thing. And mm. it's like, there shouldn't be the need for that. No. At all. And, it, and embracing the one thing of being Australian, yes, that's awesome. But, like, what is it? I don't know. <laughs> and then it forced, it has unfortunately forced me away from my own heritage, mm-hmm. which there are clear values and, and certain upbringings that, and practices that do come into play. But I even strayed away from that. And for what? Yeah. Sort yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And we should be encouraged to double down on like who we are as people in, in terms of our culture. Right. But we, we don't sh- get the chance. It's like, yeah. well, okay, cool. What grades can you get? Yeah. Which uni can you go to? What job can you get? Yeah. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah, there's a narrative that's out there that's... Look, this comes back to what I call like the happy principle, mm. which is essentially there's this idea in society that we are living to become happy or we are, we are happy, we're born happy. It's like, no, that's a false narrative. Life is absolute suffering. And I know that sounds extreme to a lot of people, but like life is coming at you, like it's going to happen to you and suffering is going to happen around you whether you like it or not. It's, you can't control that. And... Happiness is an emotion, right? So it comes and goes. It's not a constant state of being. And we're being indoctrinated like, no, it's a constant state of being. And if you're not happy, then you must be anxious or you must be depressed or you must be something else. It's like, no. Happiness is comes and goes like an emotion does, like anything. But what we need to strive for as an antidote to the suffering that's around us is meaning. So we need to double down on things we love doing. To, to, to offset that suffering. 100%. And it's like, when when do we find the time to? Like, we're so time poor these days. I think, like, it's so hard to find what you love doing. It's just easier to just follow that narrative and that path. So, it's yeah, an interesting question that you pose, I think. Um, mm. Talk to us about living out of the country. Like, you did talk about, I guess, finding finding their, their sort of continuity and everything. Was there mm-hmm. anything else that you learned about yourself or, or felt that? Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheeky top up. Yeah. Because um, I know Australia, yeah, we're so comfortable and like relaxed yeah. and laid back and everything. Like what was what was it all like traveling? So like in Germany or even in Sri Lanka, um, in, in most parts of Europe, they've got this background of suffering that comes from war, comes from um, depression, comes from starvation, comes from a lot of um, different government, different policies, tyranny. And it's made people actually come more together as a society over time through that suffering. And Australia is like 90 to 100, like almost 100 years old, right? That's like, there's not even a building in, it in I think, in Europe that's that young, right? So we, we're very immature as a, as a country um, and we haven't matured to some of the realities that are coming our way. And that could be another war. That could be literally a war coming into Australia, right? Um, we haven't prepared ourselves well enough. Um, and that's a that's the objective reality. But then on the on the the the, men, the the cultural reality and the sort of philosophical reality of that is it's grounded people in these countries to live more placidly and and just enjoy the simpler things. In Australia, we ask a lot, especially on an individual level. We expect a lot. It's like no, go and earn it. Go and earn it. Don't don't just expect. Um, and that's it's almost um, ungrateful in oh, a way. 100%. Yeah. 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 I experience it every day. I feel yeah. like, oh, and I'm sure you do as well. Like, we ask so much and we're never happy. And, like, I, the ideology of um, first world problems, like, mm. it's, oh, I don't know. I feel like it just centralizes and, and spawns from Australia. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, we're so ungrateful for the things. And I say that as well. Like, I'm going to a really prestigious university, but still complaining, I guess. But, um, I feel like I'm trying to earn my way through and chat to people and, and really gather their stories so that I have a clear idea of like what mm. I want to do. So 
yes, it might seem ungrateful, but I feel like I'm making the steps elsewhere to, to compensate for that. Yeah. And um, yeah, we do need to earn it, right? Like, and it's not even a, a thing of earning it. Like if you do earn things in your life, that's what creates positive emotion. If they're given to you, for example, as, as individuals, we have, we're more skewed to negative emotion. Um, and the reason for that is, on a biological level, is that we were set up in an environment that's dangerous. There's snakes around us, right? We need to be protecting ourselves. Um, particularly, you know, we're talking 10,000 years ago when it was hunter and gatherer sort of phases and there are dangerous things around us all the time. So our physiolo- physiological systems are set up to, to, to be more negatively wired so that we're on guard. If we don't utilise that negative emotion particularly now because we live in such an easy society where things are just available, then that, that builds up over time. And we think and we create these narratives in our head that, you know, I have anxiety, I have this, I'm so worried about this. It's like, what are you doing to offset that negative emotion? Are you, you know, I, I always use fitness as, a, as an analogy here, but are you getting up in the morning and sweating and, and working hard and getting after it? Or are you, mm, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow that's fine if you've earned it right but you need to offset that negative emotion and what that does is it it, it brings you down to a homeostatic level if you do that if you're operating at homeostasis you're you're more balanced you you make more cl- clearer decisions so we need to offset that negative emotion somehow it might be just doing something difficult it might be doing something like making a bed in the morning it might be like making breakfast for the family in the morning like just doing something that you're uncomfortable with will offset that negative emotion so go and do it just think of one thing each day that is difficult and go and do it yeah and that that helps us become a bit a bit less ungrateful i think yeah doing something difficult yeah yeah perfect that's amazing um and then where did the relationship coaching start i guess like what inspired (laughs) this and and it's such a niche topic and i think yeah you mentioned at the start of the podcast it's so taboo and and people don't really talk about it um, I'm in a pretty healthy relationship, I would say myself, and feel that the communication in there is really awesome. But what are the sort of things that you saw that really triggered or sparked the, um, I guess, the innovation to mm. be a relationship mentor? Yeah, cool. Um, I, I saw a dating pandemic happening probably five, six years ago. And what I mean by that is I saw, well, the divorce rates are at 60%. Um, a lot of my friends in, that I look at, their parents are divorced. Um, I look at relationships around us that are unhealthy, people cheating on each other all the time, not communicating. Um, look, this happens cross-culturally, so it doesn't just happen in Australia. Um, I think you know it is quite similar across the board in terms of Europe um, and, and America. Um, and I just generally see people that are unhappy in relationships and, and not being able to navigate it. And I don't blame people for that because it's not like you're giving a guidebook, like, here you go, this is how you, have a, this is how you become a good partner. It's like there is no there is no guidebook out there and that's what really resonated with me it was like shit like how do i be a good partner like what is a good partner what who's good for me like am i good for them it's just no one's really we're not having these discussions and um i really saw that i could tie philosophy psychology into that discussion 100 percent. um and where do you hope where do you hope to take it and like what does the practice sort of entail I mean, like, like we're doing here and like um, I do with anything I do, it's, it's, I, I come from a place of humility, right? So I'm learning. I don't know the answers, right? So what I want to do is I want to I figure it out. So having discussions like we're having, um, speaking with my clients, it's not about um, me giving them answers. It's actually about me working with them as like a, almost like a personal trainer does in the gym. It's like these are the movements. Can we incorporate them? Let's see how that happens and let's iterate from there. And I, at the same time, I'm taking notes, right? So I don't know the answers. Um, but some of the things that I'm, I've become aware of, I guess, which I've invested more time in than, than most is, okay, communication and telling the truth. Those things, hand in hand, will save anyone's relationship. And if we're not instilling them in our relationships, then you've probably buried a lot of snakes under the rug. And that's, that's uncomfortable um, but we need to get into those conversations. 100%. Um, and how does it relate to sort of our, our society at the moment? I feel like, yeah, every every friend that I have, um, you know, like it's all, all 
lovely and, and well that you're in a relationship and everything, but I feel like no one really talks about it. You're sort of like, oh, you guys are cute. Mm. and then it's like that's it yeah there's a few things here so men in australia that i see like with my own friends and other people's friends it's it's always like this like oh mate you'll be right Uh, it's all good you know if you're if you're vulnerable right let's say let's say you're messaging someone for a few months and you've seen each other a few times and it's going pretty well and then suddenly you just get ghosted like who are you talking to about that like are you going to one of your mates like oh you know she she ghosted me he ghosted me oh mate you'll be right and it's like, no, no, like, let's talk about it. Let's, let's actually get into it. And I don't think we're doing that for each other, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I really want to promote people to have these vulnerable conversations with the people that love them. Um, and because sometimes a lot of the time people aren't actually getting that. They're not getting that at all from their friends and family. Um, and then there might be questions like why did i get ghosted why why is this happening to me and then that trauma builds up and then it leads into every other relationship and they carry it on with them and then that poisons everything forward and it's like no one's really stopped them in their tracks and said hey it's okay that these things happen they happen to all of us it's how we navigate forward it's what we want to bring to the table Um, and i've had my own personal experiences in this and i've seen and this has happened to me and but luckily i have a friend or two that i can come to and be like let's have this vulnerable discussion Mm. um how do you find those friends and like how do you navigate those conversations with one another in terms of like if something like that happens to you what's the go and yeah what what do you prefer in in your situations when yeah you might be ghosted or something and then you approach a mate like what would you like them to do for yourself yeah it's a great question um look i think it's not about analyzing whether or not someone else did something to you. That's, that's never going to change. You can never influence someone's behavior and how they re- like react or respond or do something that seems irrational. There's no explanation for it. You're looking for the answers. Like, that's not healthy. What's healthy is like, how can I move forward from here? Okay, maybe I need to invest in myself. Let me look within of how I can utilize this as motivation to move forward. Don't worry about what that person did to you or how do I get revenge or whatever it is. It's like, no, no, what's more healthy? How do I utilize that to become more positive in the future to my next relationship and and not bring that trauma across and not expect that, oh, you know, I'm messaging this person. They're probably just going to ghost me. It's like you're set up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure. Like have faith in the idea that there is someone out there for you. Have faith in that and believe in that but the only way that's going to manifest is if you invest in yourself yeah. and the key example for that is you, someone might have asked you this i've been asked this question a lot oh, what's the perfect partner for you it's like i hate that question i absolutely hate that question it's hard yeah like <laughs> it's like there's like no right answer i guess or like it's it's just it's also a selfish question right it's because true, yeah. it's like oh well i want this i want that i want that it's like okay but you the reality is you're probably not going to get any of those things, right? But what you can do, and instead of answering that question, is like, well, I don't know what the best partner is for me, but I know how to be the best partner to someone else because I'm going to invest in that. Mm. How do I be the best partner? Well, compassionate, loving, caring, honest, be authentic, tell the truth, communicate. I'm going to embody that in my life and that's going to manifest the best relationship I can have. And that's, that's what I really like key advice there. Of it, um, and I love how you flick the switch to yourself because it's always like, what can you control and what can't you control? You can't yeah. control what someone else does to you, and you shouldn't really be looking in that essence as well. It's like, what actions have I taken yeah. to lead up to this moment? I guess like, have I said something wrong which has led to them ghosting me, or mm. and but sometimes it does come out of the blue, and that's something that you can't really control as well. So it's like, I love the message of looking in within yourself and how do you move forward from it yeah and don't poison that with like oh i've done something like you might have done something wrong right and you can have that self-reflection but don't think badly on yourself like Mm. oh i'm just you know i'm a loser like no one wants Mm. to you know go fuck it you know how can i use this motivation from this person treating me the way i did and and feed that into a positive relationship or feed that into myself so that way I can invest more into myself through that fuel. You know, it's all fuel. We're collecting fuel all the time. 
through suffering, through trauma, through different life events. That is all fuel. And we have two options. We can either grab that and utilize it as fuel for positive or cast a negative net on the world and play the victim, mm. right? We can all, we know those people, right, that play the victim. Oh, you know, you probably don't like me. You probably, you know, they, they put all this self-blame. Oh, it's, it's probably not going to work out. Oh, I'm probably not good enough. It's like, wake up. You're good enough. Invest in yourself. Use it, use it as motivation. And you'll, you'll manifest the positive relationship you're looking for. What do you think of, um, like, labeling on, on relationships and those sorts of things? You know, I guess, like, for some context, it's like, oh, you might be seeing someone for... Three or four months, and then you decide to become explicit, but you're not like dating. And it's like the is this a, um, a situation? Situ- yeah, situation. Yeah, what's your opinion on Jesus. that? Jesus, they're so it's so um non committed and such. I'm gonna say it, it's bullshit. Situationship is bullshit. That's two individuals that refuse to communicate exactly what they're looking for, and they like each other, but they don't really want to like become vulnerable with each other because they don't want to label it and i find that absolute bullshit like if you're in a situationship it means that you're refusing to communicate with each other authentically as simple as that um i mean how can it not be if you're doing something casual and you're communicating hey let's have something casual which i'm not fully a fan of but at least it's communicated at least you know where you stand with someone right and that's we're social beings we need to know where we stand with people and if you're in a situation, it just means either both of you or one of you is not communicating authentically. And my advice for situationships is to sit down and go, what do I want out of this person? What are they getting out of me? Do I enjoy this relationship? Is this someone I could probably date? If the answer is no, then I would say, okay, I'm going to keep it casual. Hey, this is just a casual thing and have the conversation. If you want a relationship, then bloody ask for it. Ask for the relationship. If that person's scared of commitment, you have to let them go. Because if you want commitment, you've got to ask for it. It's as simple as that. And it's this, um, I guess, the fear of asking for it as well. Like, we never we never want to invest uh, or take that difficult step to mm. finding what we love. And then we just sort of like, we're playing the waiting game as well. Yeah. Um, what's some advice that you would give to people who are maybe struggling to communicate their feelings? Like, they really want it, but aren't sure like what tools they can use to, mm. to sort of spark that conversation yeah it's a great question i know it's hard for people to actually communicate in in, in an emotional setting in an emotional way from that fear of loss like if i tell someone this they're going to run from that you just have to ask yourself what's worse you being in something for three or four years without any label on it and then suddenly they found someone else and then you have to live with this grief of like three or four years of a relationship that you never you were too afraid to ask the question or you're six months into it, you ask the question and it's literally going to manifest two options. It's going to manifest, yes, they're committed and we're going to do this or no, I'm afraid I'm going to run away. Mm. What's better for you? Obviously, that's a hard reality to face, but telling the truth is, I promise you, is going to be the adventure of your life because if you tell the truth, it's so, it's so scary where that can lead you, but it's so exciting at the same time because maybe from that experience okay i've asked this person hey look i've been seeing we've been seeing each other for six months now i'm really loving um what's happening but i would really want some commitment you know i'd rather us be dating i think it's um, better for me because that's what i feel like i need um i don't know how you feel about that and have the conversation and if this person's afraid of that conversation then you have to ask are they for you are they ready they might not be ready, but what will happen is that person might run from that conversation, but it's going to stoop in their mind. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to, if they come back to the table, then you've ma- then it's worth committing to then, right? Hundred percent, because they've gone and actually like had to think about it. Yeah, and and the fact that they've come back as well means that maybe yeah you are the one I guess, which is pretty exciting. Mm. Um, I I wanted to ask like relationship mentoring, there's. There's a bit of a ring to it, and I'm sure some of the listeners maybe like maybe I my age as well. Sure. Like relationship mentoring, why? Like, it it sounds pointless. Like mm. I should be able to handle my own relationships myself. Like, why why would I need it? <laughs> what's what's the what's the thought process behind that one? Yeah, look, um, I'm single, and a lot of my friends are single. 
there's a lot of people that are single. There's a lot of people that have had relationships that are traumatized, that are searching for those answers of like who the right person is. And the reason, the reason I've sort of started this is because we're not having these discussions face to face about how we be authentic in relationships, how we communicate. Um, you might think you're the best at communicating, and then suddenly you're single and going, "What? What happened?" Right? And you might have a perception of the reality around you, but we all need to approach this with humility. We don't know. We don't know what's right for us a lot of the time. We need someone else. And this is why I'm a big believer in commitment in a relationship and particularly marriage. Like marriage, you can't navigate it on your own. And, and this is how I'll draw this up is you're two individuals in the world moving forward and then you meet someone and then it's about entangling your, your lives together as individuals. But a lot of the time people still want to be an individual inside of a relationship. However, it's a collective. You're not an individual anymore. You're a collective. But people don't make that mental shift to become a collective. They still want to operate as an individual in the world. Why would I give up this? Why would I give my time up for this? It's like, hey, buddy, you're, you're in this with someone else. You're a collective. You're no longer an individual. And the best way to draw up for me is the ideal in a relationship of what you're aiming for is this meta personality, which is this ideal creation that you two have created together through both of your personalities that create a meta personality that regulate the relationship, right? And that meta personality keeps you both intact as couples, mm. as partners. And that meta personality represents the best version of you and the best version of your partner. And that sometimes you might have to play the best version of your partner to the other person. So let's say you're very good at um, you know, saving money, but suddenly you get an obsession over shoes and you just start spending money crazy. The meta personality starts to play a role where your partner goes in, hold on a minute, like, Jaden, you were very good at saving money. Now you're just spending money like crazy. Like what's going on? It slows you down, right? He goes, you know, wake up. Yeah. That's the meta personality helping the relationship stay intact. But it's only because you've become a collective and, and you need to make that shift in your own mind. Hey, I'm dating this other person. I'm no longer an individual. I'm a collective. I've got to be vulnerable. I've got to put it all on the table. I'm all in. Simple as that. Do you believe that people can navigate an individualistic personality outside of a marriage? Or do you feel like once you're in it, you're in it? I think you become a better version of of yourself, of the individual, when you decide to become a collective because that person will awaken in you things that are maybe you haven't awoken in yourself and you actually become the best version of yourself. But the only way you can do that is by really making that shift over as a collective. Like I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to accept that, okay, yep, I still have all these things I love doing. Um, and this, I talk about this about with my clients about red flags, for example. So... Yeah, if you yeah, if you um if you love going to the beach and your partner doesn't like going to the beach, that's not a red flag. That partner needs to go, "Hey, I love that you love going to the beach and I want that for you." So, go down to the beach today. I want you to go there. I'm going to sit here and read my book. And they motivate you to do the things you love. They don't hold you back from it because they don't like doing it. And that causes resent, right? So, to answer the question, yes, you can still be an individual but your partner needs to inspire that in you, right? They need to inspire what makes you the individual, but as a collective. What constitutes a red flag then, in your opinion? I mean, it, it's, this is something I'm still learning about and I'm still trying to answer myself. And the way that I draw this up is, let's say you have an, ex, like a, a, an avid Trump supporter, right? Mm. Versus someone who despises Trump. My belief system and what I'm trying to instill is that those people can still have a loving marriage. Really? Yeah, I believe that because one, I think your political identity is not your identity. That's actually very true. <laughs> right? Yeah. And when it becomes your identity, then I think that's probably, actually there's probably that's, a red flag. <laughs> there's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the red flag. But I really think the differences we find in each other can really be inspiring to make us because it's about novelty. So when you first meet someone, you have two emotions. You have stress and you have like this quite excitement like I've met someone this is really going well and then when you get through the relationship a little bit more that stress goes away because you've you're now in a safety net with that person um, but 
you need to now then recreate that stress in the relationship because that's what brings novelty, right? And novelty is what's attractive and keeps you excited and keeps that spark going, right? And when it becomes quite flat and boring, it's because you're just so safe in the relationship. There's no stress in it. So the stress can come in in those differences, right? Oh, shit, you know, Jane wants to go to the footy again tonight. Like, he didn't come back till midnight the other night, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know about this. It's like, no, go to the footy, have fun with your friends. I'm going to have a night in. I love that about you. I love that you love those things. Go and do it. Inspire each other to go and do those things. Don't hold each other back from them. Yeah. In a way that sort of like, I guess, fine tunes and and almost encourages like opposites attract. Yeah. As well, because I guess you learn completely different things off each other. Yeah. As well. Like, what, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, dating market right now is like we're creating a narrative. So we're sitting here, we're swiping on the apps and we've got this narrative of who we want to find. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that. And then we've got this narrative and we try and match that narrative on the person we're trying to, to fall in love with or to try and meet and go on a date with. Let's say we get on that date. They've matched the narrative as, as far as the app is telling us. And then um, you get on the date and then they say something like, you know, maybe they listen to a Joe Rogan podcast and you, the other person might be very opposed to Joe Rogan. That person's like, holy shit, I've got to run away from this. It didn't match the narrative. It's like, please, if you have that mentality in your dating life, you're going to be dating forever and ever and not finding that narrative. And it's a false narrative. It's like reading a book, right? You, you approach the book with an idea of what you want that book to give you. You don't approach it with neutrality. Yeah. It's so rare that we approach things with neutrality. We need to go into something with humility and going, I'm going to learn from this. Okay, yeah, there's some differences here, but can, but isn't that exciting? Isn't that what keeps things you in the hunt? Like you quite excited in someone. So I really think the differences, you know, opposites can definitely attract. Not saying that you know two people with the same set of values and the same they love everything and you know it's it's not can't work, but it's like they just have to create novelty in their lives somehow. Mm. And I think naturally opposites attract because there is novelty. Mm. Wow yeah it's been a very long-winded podcast i love it um amazing before we wrap up what would you like to end on so i've got an analogy or sort of a hypothetical that i love to ask clients everyone my friends and it's um it's a really fun sort of um game that we can play here so if you're if you've just met someone and you're dating for two or three months and they've invited you over for dinner to meet the family right classic yeah it's it's um it's an exciting time it's fun um you're nervous it's great you know um and you got those butterflies but you get to the you get to the dinner um the parents cook let's say the dad or the mum's cooked you've had dinner discussion's gone really well everything's gone really well and then the father or the mother whoever cooked leans over to you and goes you know how was the food like how was everything what is your answer and let's hypothetically say that you found it terrible <laughs> absolutely disgusting right and like let's take something like objective like a steak right everyone should agree with this if they don't i'm, I'm questioning them a bit <laughs> but a steak it should never be over like well done right it, no two steak can't yeah. do that yeah but let's say that's that's the objective fact okay what do you do what do you answer oh that is that is so rough <laughs> i i think like i'd be lying if i said i'd i'd tell the truth yeah and say that it was a bit <laughs> mid or average yeah. um i just think that's not oh that's not me but then i don't want to say that as well because i feel that i'm very honest with yeah oh interesting can i flip the switch what, what, yeah. what what's your answer or what do you give so i'm more so what i'm advocating for as a philosophy is to tell the truth insofar as you know it to be the truth mm. and and assume that that manifests the best possible outcome that's true so i'm going to tell the truth and i'm going to say in in a in a not in like a deceiving way or anything. I'm gonna be like, look, I had a lovely time. Everything was really good. I just you know usually I don't eat steak that's well done. Um, it was different for me. I didn't I didn't enjoy it to be honest. And people go, oh yeah, bullshit. There's no way you would say that in front of parents that you're just meeting. Blah blah. blah. Take the easy road. You know you could just say yeah, it was great and then <laughs> move on with the conversation. But I want people to think what happens as a byproduct of that. So you've left dinner. 
and you've you've been honest and let's say it was like confronting for the parent oh okay wow okay really but then the parents then have to sit there and have a conversation was like well he's either a like a dickhead (laughs) or he's like well he's actually an honest person and he was honest with me maybe for my daughter for my for my son that that's a really good value to look for because he was not afraid to be honest in the in a stressful situation meeting the parents for the first time so it's just like how you perceive that situation and it's like what and and the 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 metaphor here is or the reality of that is like what you do and how you act has ripple effects so being authentic and telling a truth it ripples even if you can't even see it you have no idea how being authentic and telling the truth ripples and you need to know that and try and conduct yourself as best as you can, as honestly as you can in all the facets of life. Yeah. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess you can look at it at the inverse as well. It's like, well, if you just didn't say anything and, and, and lied, we'll say it's lying because you're not telling the truth. Yeah. Um, then that reflects onto your other habits as well in life and then it's like at what point do you draw the line when maybe it's a high stress work situation where it's like you actually have to make a critical decision but you don't want to offend someone yeah yeah it's it's a tough one to to go by but it's all comes back to your own um value system right if you want to conduct yourself honestly and this is an adventure of your life sort of thing do so and I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but holy shit, it's going to manifest a crazy journey for you, which in my opinion is is the most authentic journey you could go on in your life. Mm-hmm. Being honest to yourself and not trading off that honesty just to appease people. Beautiful. Where can people find you, Mitchell? So therelationshipmentor.com.au. Um, I, I'm really open book. Send me a message. I'll, I'll meet for you. I'll meet with you. I'll have a coffee. Whatever you want to do, we can catch up, talk about whatever it is you're dealing with, particularly romantically. Um, on Instagram as well, the dot relationship mentor. Um, do a few TikToks as well. Uh, it is, yeah. We'll have all the links in the show yeah, notes below. But, yeah. Um, thank you so much. Like it's been a pleasure chatting to you, and I really appreciate you re- reaching out and and doing this. Like it's it's so exciting getting to meet new people and and get to know their story sort of thing. Um, I'm sure you'll be back for round two. I'll yeah, we got to do a round two. Yeah, 100%. there's a lot left in the vault. Oh, so. I, I can see, and I and I'm <laughs> bad cutting this short, but. Um, yeah, be sure to follow Life of Land podcasts uh, on Instagram and we'll catch you in the next episode. Awesome, thanks. Yeah.